Hi and welcome along to Early Excellence's Head to Head podcast. It's great to have you here. I'm Sarah Carey, School Improvement Lead here at Early Excellence and in these podcasts I'll be connecting with real head teachers and school leaders. We'll be discussing hot topics in primary and early years education and sharing some real experiences. So keep listening to hear more about school inspections and impactful school improvement strategies. Welcome along to our Head to Head. In this episode, we're going to be hearing from my colleague, Phil Armstrong, as he engages in another interesting curriculum conversation. We'll be hearing from Lindsay Hatfield, Executive Head Teacher, and Lizzie Battersby, Deputy Head. Both of them are hugely experienced and extremely knowledgeable about all things early years and have lots to share about their curriculum development journey. So they'll talk to us about the what and why of their curriculum and their curriculum goals, their steps to success, as well as crucial cornerstones to their pedagogy and things that they really place high value upon. They'll talk about their golden thread with regards to language and communication and the all important role of the adult and the value of their team being engaged in the journey of development. This is a super listen for schools, particularly those of you who have got two-year-old provision and nursery, as well as reception, but also for nurseries and maintained nursery schools too. So I hope you enjoy the listen. Well, I'm absolutely delighted uh, to be spending a bit of time this morning chatting with Lindsay and Lizzie, who have got an amazing story to share with you about how they've developed their really, really incredible curriculum and the impact it's had on the children. But also from early conversations with Lindsay and Lizzie, it was about how uh, the, convers- the impact it's had on the team as well, really, which has been absolutely amazing. Um, so without further delay, uh, would you like to introduce yourselves and kind of introduce everyone to where it is and the kind of contacts within you? which you're working at the moment. Yeah, so um, my name's Lindsay. I'm Executive Head for Roarmarsh and Arnold Nursery Federation. Um, We're currently at Roarmarsh Nursery, which is in Rotherham. It's just outside of the town centre. It serves a fantastic area of the town um, and we have a range of children and families that come to our maintained nursery. I've had the pleasure of being here for just over a year So the work that we're going to discuss, I inherited. I wasn't necessarily part of the creation, um, but we've continued just to refine it and further develop it as I have been in post. Um, I'm an early years teacher by trade and then I've been um, a principal at um, two primary schools in a large multi-academy trust before coming here. So although I've got early years at heart, I've also got a really good understanding of where children need to be on their educational journey, but how a really strong early years basis and best start to education can aid that journey and make it smooth for them and families. Fantastic, yes, thank you. I'm, I'm uh, Lizzie, I'm the Deputy Head um, at Royal Marsh. Uh, I've spent my entire teaching career here, um, which I think is a bit unusual these days, but if you love something, why would you leave? Um, so I've, I've sort of gone through the ranks um, to be, be an SLE and then um, technical post as deputy head three years ago. Fantastic. Thanks ever so much. And yeah, I mean, I, I think when we first started uh, talking about having this conversation, Maintain Nursery School is obviously very close to my own heart as well, having been a head teacher in one. They're quite unique and special places, but also how they fit within that overall kind of education community as well. And that involvement with the primary sector as well, we know is absolutely key, isn't it? That long term journey of the children. Uh, so, yeah, really, really great to be talking to you. 
Um, so that kind of that curriculum journey, as you alluded to there, Lindsay, it began before you had even arrived. But what was sort of the first steps, I suppose, really, that, that were taking place? Well, I'm waiting well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it really we, we sort of had an idea of, of what we wanted to do. We'd we'd used um we, we ended up in bubbles during the COVID um time. Um and I was in one bubble um and happened to be placed with an EYP during the forest school training. So together we sort of we, we tried out different ideas and, and kind of came up with the basis basic bones of sort of what we wanted the, the sort of curriculum implementation to look like. Um, and then, as we came towards the end of that year, knowing that we were going to be starting running with the revised EYFS, we brought the whole team together, so our two to three team, our F1 team, and we looked at each of the educational programmes, looked at what we wanted the intent to be for our children, knowing our children as well as we do, what was most important for them to learn, and then um, came together, looked at that, went away, honed it down a little bit, the teachers sort of looked at it, took things out that were too detailed, you know, sort of got down sort of alleyways that were too detailed. Went back to the staff again. They talked about things that they thought of later because that thing you do where you go away, you think of something we've missed, added extra bits in, um, went through what we've done so far. So everybody knew where we were going with it. Um, went away, did the same process again and came back with sort of like the finished article, which wasn't the finished article, but everybody almost did sort of a working party where they revised each other, other groups and 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 double checked it almost that it was how they thought it should look um and that's been an ongoing process really since we since we brought it in and started using it we're still going back and looking at we went back over the mathematics mm. program in the summer because there were things gaps there and and things we'd missed uh, bits and pieces from EAD like Atelier that were massive part of our curriculum but we we'd not sort of pop it popped into the intention uh, intention so it's it's an ongoing process really and I guess what was the kind of overall vision when you kind of set out to kind of develop it? What was kind of what? How did you picture it as kind of the end? I suppose. I think although I wasn't part of the the designing of the curriculum, um, no, being part of um, the reasoning and the discussions with the team as to why certain decisions are made, I think it it's really clear that so much evidence based uh, research was used to really drive the curriculum it wasn't something that was just plucked out of thin air or just plucked out of practitioners heads or we like doing on certain things that we're going to do it they they drew upon so many different um documents so many different parts of research um they looked at mary sheridan that pulled in they looked at the Anlock living language program and um, development matters all, all your key documents which then fed into it the main vision for itself um which we do see come to life in our nursery on a daily basis is that no no education program should be able to be picked apart separately it should all run so fluidly but it should run fluidly around a nucleus of communication and language because if children aren't given high quality experiences and opportunities around communication and language they won't be able to fully explore the other interlocking educational programs so the overarching vision is to really increase children's cultural capital around their communication language for them to then be able to experience a broad and balanced curriculum, which is what we do deliver. Fantastic. So it's that kind of golden thread running all the way through. And that, that was absolutely key to it. Yeah. And I think that's fed through the design as well. So although Lizzie touched upon the, the COVID area, which we all do probably win when we think back to it, 
the the fact that the bubbles were used as almost little petri dishes of trying things out so staff could mm. run certain things and Lizzie is still and was at the time literacy and communication language coordinator and, and knew very much that the curriculum needed to be built around the key text approach which is where the unlock vocabulary came in so it was it was really carefully looking at the starting point of the choose to freeze children and what key vocabulary and text we wanted them to experience and then building it through and again because Lizzie was partnered with one of our incredible EYPs, formidable some would say, um, who's Boris school trained, that then again gave gave that slant to it again of what the vocabulary will look like, what the key learning experience will look like through the forest school lens so it's, it's very much been um, built upon firm foundations of literacy and communication language hand in hand and and giving children that early love of reading knowing that that is such a high focus as they will progress through school but not doing it because that because of that reason doing it to promote a love of literacy for children i think there's um we've really brought the forest school with alongside the key text because you won't stop think of those as being as, as being naturally paired together but um do certain things so for example when we do time we came to tea we make dandelion and lime tea with the children on the fire pit so that's a lovely forest school activity where they're searching things in the garden but it, it, it again references back to that key text so children are always thinking about that storytelling language about characters in it about the events in that story so you know not all the forest school teaching we do is, is take from the key text because inevitably there are standalone um, activities that have to be done as the seasons change but we've tried without making it forced to link them together as well so you get that constant revisiting of language constant revisiting of concepts you know there's all this talk about long-term memory that that's where it comes in isn't it yeah yeah that kind of giving them multiple contexts to yeah, use and yeah. apply that that's knowledge and understanding yeah. isn't it and i think it's really interesting what you're saying about forest school because sometimes there's perhaps there's that risk that forest school feels a bit disconnected from yeah. the rest of the learning but it sounds like it's very much been kind of threaded alongside it's kind of all woven together like some kind of tapestry I suppose almost it is and that we were talking weren't we um last week uh, just before half term about how we do have this amazing curriculum which is so well sequenced and it and it it forms the backbone of, of what's delivered within the nursery but then almost by accident when the curriculum was being delivered the team have created these four fantastic cornerstones of pedagogy where Forest schools is one of them. Key texts and rhymes, core experiences, and and children having experience of a range of celebrations. And the curriculum can only be firmly delivered if it is delivered on the foundations of that pedagogy. Mm-hmm. Because through bringing the curriculum to life through the lens of forest schools, it does give so many different experiences, but not tokenistic. It it interlocks everything. And it's the same with the key text. If if you took one of the four away, it would fall. It would fall like a Jenga tower. It's got it's got to be really embedded in every single aspect, learning opportunity, interaction, practitioner knowledge, CPD that we do, so that it becomes not tokenistic, but actually part of our daily routine. And the mantra that we have whenever we deliver training or whenever we, we talk about anything is everybody learning every day. And that's that's the mantra that we do have as, as a staff team because that's not just for the children that's for the staff because how 
when we're looking at medium-term plan, when we're looking at activities, what may have happened last year may be completely different this year or may be completely different this week, next week, because the children may view it in a different way. Therefore, practitioners are reflective and responsive to that and are on that learning journey with the children. But still using those cornerstones to help guide you in changing and adapting that practice, isn't it? And it's been interesting talking at schools who... Uh, and settings who have worked sometimes in a very different way over the last couple of years because the needs of the children have been different. So they've had that kind of adapted, a kind of flexible pedagogy, but they've still got those core principles to kind of keep guiding them all the way and navigating through sometimes choppy waters, uh, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think you've, you've got to be responsive to the needs of the cohort, and that will continue as we're still up through COVID fallout. Mm. You know, there's so many different things which will influence the youngest of children and the most vulnerable of families which we which we serve but what's got to remain consistent is the curriculum intent and nothing should actually put that in a vulnerable position because the minute that you do start to deviate from that is where you're compromising that therefore you're compromising the structure of the learning and the delivery yeah that's that's really really interesting i suppose it's that then which bits did you choose to kind of focus on first? I get, I get that sense of looking at language, obviously, very specifically, but then thinking about that that kind of broader curriculum, which was your kind of first route, I suppose, that you went down? I think we, we really went down the prime areas first. We know that everything mm-hmm. sits on those. I mean, we talk about the four cornerstones, but those skills, are, they open the door to the rest of the learning, don't they? Um, yeah. So that was where we started. We got those educational programmes really bedded in and, and strongly planned first, put the energy into that, and then um, sort of went to math, mathematics and literacy, uh, and obviously um, knowledge and understanding the world and EAD. Um, so that was kind of the process of it. But you can't. it's impossible to talk about intent for one, isn't it, without talking about yeah. intent for the other. And that's, that is the beautiful thing about them, isn't it, is that we, we'd never separate those out, really. Um, so... <laughs> You almost look at your, your, your specifics as being vehicles for learning the, the other three, really, I guess. So I know I'm sort of harking back to some old sorts of language to talk about the curriculum, I guess. But but that's how it works, that they are all they are also knitted together, aren't they? Absolutely. And I think as well, it's, it's about what's really powerful through the any development process which the team go through here is they don't ever throw the baby out of the bathwater. So it's things like characteristics of effective learning have still got such a high profile. Mm-hmm. And I think with the um, EYFS reforms, although, yes, it is it is within it and it has been amended, with the huge task which schools and early years settings were given around curriculum design, sometimes the focus could be shifted from characteristics of effective mm-hmm. learning, which the bread and butter of high quality early years and and i can see why some settings have fallen into that trap because your focus is is so shifted with such ever-changing goalposts but that has remained such a strong thread and a focus as well throughout not just the intent of the curriculum but also the impact so how we measure where children are within that um, the language that we're using, we're talking about children being critical thinkers, we're talking about that through pupil progress. So it, it all has to link through the assessment and then the next learning steps for the children within the sequence curriculum. I think we we that's bedded in really with our observation procedures because when we reflect on a child's observation, we use the characteristics of effective learning. So we're not reflecting and saying, oh, can they count to 10? Or are they talking in a two or three keyword sentence? We've got other things that we use for that, like e tools. 
but in terms of what are they doing in that in that moment and that is so useful especially when you're looking at children who've got particularly SEND mm. children you look at those children in a different way so yeah they are they might be non-verbal but they are still really persevering to, to mm. get to the end goal they are still really communicating with, with others and working collaboratively but it just looks a little bit different and, and actually because of the open-endedness of characteristics for effective learning you're able to sort of celebrate where that child is for them um so it's really useful to have the two and i think in a similar sort of vein we, we created these sort of standalone curriculum goals for each of the educational programs and, and they perhaps link more to our characteristics of effective yeah. learning so for example for physical it's um, climb a tree and jump down safely there's lots of steps behind that so being brave enough just to go up one side of a tiny climbing frame a tiny a-frame and then going over the top of the big scramble net and then being brave enough to jump down and having all those physical skills that go with that but there's a resilience in that isn't there there's a keeping on trying which are all your characteristics of effective learning um so i guess our, our curriculum goals sort of we've almost got these two two yeah. curriculums i guess but they do come together yeah but it's making sure we celebrate everything children can do and i think as well it's it's recognizing the starting points of our two-year-olds as well so the curriculum goal is the absolute bare minimum if our children leave us being able to climb tree drunk down being able to um make a model being able to um tell a story just for example of a few of them that's the bare minimum for them to then access the full broad balanced curriculum is is the icing on the cake but through the development that the staff did around the curriculum goals is they then worked back so they did a three-step program and it's not an assessment it's not to be used as a highlighted kind of you know in spring one we use pink in the autumn two we use yeah it's not that it's a case of looking at where the children fall within the step program one two and three to get to the curriculum goal so again just something so simple as to climb a tree and jump down for a two-year-old that's lived in a flat and was yeah born within the covid era our outdoor space is so overwhelming so within step one it's for them to go outside with a familiar adult because they can't climb that tree if they're not confident to access the outdoor. And then they need to separate from that adult whilst they're outside because they both won't fit on that tree. So, <laughs> so it's all of the, all of the, it's, the curriculum is so carefully designed to remark on the remarkable, tiny, finite steps which children have to go through to get to what an end goal is. And it's, recognizing the journey and the skill set that those children will have to have to get to make that journey and get to that end goal and that's I personally think that's what makes our curriculum so beautiful because it allows children to be successful within any step towards the goal because it recognizes the challenges that they will have to overcome to get there it's very much it sounds like it's a curriculum of, as you said two strands isn't it it's kind of what you want them to learn, but how you want them to be a learner. It's the two yeah. things working together, isn't it? And that really building yeah. that learning capacity within. And that's where the, the, the pedagogy comes in as well, because mm. that's where the power of the forest schools comes in. So so that being the, the thread that runs through through one of our cornerstones, that opens up so much. You know, again, mm. to access real, true forest school teaching, it's about your resilience. It's about your perseverance. It's about having the confidence to experience different um opportunities it's and, and it's and it's looking at that and then 
through through the forest schools approach, we, if needed, will also then do additional interventions outside of our quality-based teaching, which will be around PSED. It will be around the prime areas, again, as the vehicle for them to then access the specific areas. I think um, if you're talking about valuing the, the children being learners, I think our team actually, above all else, that's what they want children to get. They've got high aspirations from achieving the curriculum. Of course they have. But but that, above everything else, is what matters most to our, our staff. And I think when you talk about a long-term view, having that skill set will still serve those children if they go on to do a degree you know, later on in their education. That, that you know, In everything in their life, being able to persist and persevere mm. and keep on trying... Um, I mean, I sort of look at my own 15-year-old sometimes and think he's kind of lost that a little bit on his journey, you know, from when he was here and he would keep on doing that. I think so. It's, it, we can get that really deeply embedded in children's psyche now um, that you, if something's worth having, you've got to work at it. If you want to make a reindeer at Christmas, you've got to keep soaring all through half term you know, to get yeah. there. It's that, it's that, isn't it, that nothing's instant. You have to work hard sometimes. That's really interesting. I got interviewed by some children for a podcast recently, some year sixes in a school. And one of the questions they asked was about, well, they'd heard that in some cases, creativity, as they said, is knocked out of children as they get older. And it was really, really interesting that they were coming up with that kind of idea. But I think sometimes we would see that perhaps is the case. In early years, you see more creativity, problem solving, all those kind of things. And perhaps we're not seeing it with some of our older children as they move through. And things are more controlled, I guess, really. But uh, yeah, that, well, that's look, at the, look at the freedom that our children are given from a scientific inquiry point of view. And you look at what how they can plan and deliver true scientific inquiry. But then if you look further up in different key stages, how a tray of resources may just be delivered to a table. And it's and it's that aspect of of where where's where's the experiment happening, where's the where's the failure happening, where are they and it, whereas our children have you know, have the ability to fail. And I think again, looking back at the journey that we're putting our children on, the curriculum only works to such a high level here because of the adults that do deliver it. And it is the knowledge and the skill set that Lizzie spoke about, but it's also the relationships that they have with the children. Because if the children didn't trust the adults and know I've got someone there that will help me if I need it or will leave me while I'm working this out and I can go and check in with them, if that wasn't such a priority for us to establish such trust in strong relationships with our children, again, the implementation of the curriculum wouldn't be delivered to such a high degree because you could you could pass the paperwork on to anyone, but it's it's the it's the adults' knowledge and the adults' relationships with the children which bring it to life. That's really interesting because it came through in the latest um, Ofsted research review, wasn't it? And they were talking about adults. I mean, they're the most precious resource, aren't they? They're, yeah. You know, they're the things that really make the difference, but. They, it's that adult knowledge not only of child development and how to support aspects of you know the the EYFS, but also to understand your curriculum and where yeah. and have that relationship with the child and when they bring all those three things together, that's when you have those incredible yeah. learning moments for both parties, really, I guess. Yeah, and that's that's very much within all of our staff teams. So again, knowledge understanding the world, our curriculum goal is to name the parts of the tree. Um, we've got many trees, which Lizzie will list. I'm not <laughs> in our outside area. 
beautiful trees. Um, but our children will observe them during seasonal change. They will they will do what they do a tree, but they have their photograph taken. They collect objects. They do observational paintings of them. And throughout that, they're being exposed to vocabulary such as root, trunk, bark, flower, um, bud. And if you look, when we've done some work with our team, we've actually linked that to the National Curriculum and said, our children are actually experiencing year one and year three vocabulary around seasonal change in plants. So the staff team know that in three or four years' time, Freddie, who had a real interest in trees, who would actually say, no, I don't want my photograph taken in front of the cherry blossom, I want it taken in front of the sycamore tree. And that actually did happen at the end of last year. <laughs> he will be an absolute superstar in year three because he's got embedded first-hand knowledge yeah. through a range, and I've given a really narrow range of examples, but through a range of examples around knowledge and understanding of the world. And, and that's because we don't, strip down we expose and put no limits on so they are using vocabulary which in context which a year three child would be using that's fantastic and that's that revisiting of learning which we know is so important that kind of spiral kind of approach and that's the challenge sometimes isn't it in, in a maintained nursery school is you don't quite know because they're probably going to lots of different schools when they leave you is what's going to be experiences in those so so how are your kind of connections in terms of thinking about curriculum beyond the nursery how, how are the schools engaging with you i, I think we, we, we make sure these children leave with the biggest the most solid foundation the broadest vocabulary we can possibly offer them um like lindsay said we're not going to not teach something because i've no. got to learn it at three <laughs> at year three it, it, it's it's what what what's the limit where can we get with these yeah. children let's not accept the bare minimum ever and i think I know Lindsay's talked about our staff team, but our staff team are everything. We have people who come here and think that our outdoor teaching is good because we've got a beautiful, beautiful garden full of fabulous trees. It is not. It absolutely is not. We're so committed to training our staff. High quality interaction training is a rolling part of our training program every single year to the point where they're almost like, oh, yeah, yeah, 10 seconds. <laughs> commentary. We get it. We know. But as someone who often delivers that, it doesn't hurt to ever go over it again. I remember things and I know that the day after I've delivered that training, I go out and my interactions are better for it. Um, and it's something we go back to over and over again. We've done peer coaching, we've done video. We use all sorts of techniques. We draw on training from LCAM, from I, uh, Speech and Language UK. We go back to ECAP, the Every Child of Talker stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they said, don't throw the baby out with the bath water. The way children learn language will not alter. It's the same as it was 100 years ago. It will still be the same in 100 years' time. You know, the things that go on around them, like iPads and, all, and COVID and all those things that impact it, yes, that changes the makeup. Um, and certainly we've seen that. We've mm. seen language levels drop significantly since we started ECAR. But it's about your staff. Yeah. They, they're the ones who know the moment when to introduce the word bud. They know if the child's just at the stage of needing leaf, they might be an F1, but they might still need that sort of what we would call our two to three year vocab of leaf and tree. Mm. So... That's about staff knowing the children, but it's also about extremely skilled practitioners. Mm -hmm. They are superb. They really are. And I think they've come into their own last year because through looking at um, the next steps for our children and, and we almost view our, because we've got twos to threes and, and threes to fours, our threes to fours are our year sixes in our head. So we, we've, we've put no <laughs> limit on them. Um, but with that, we've done a lot of work with um, the other maintained schools within the borough. We're, we've got fabulous links with our local authority 
So we've done um, workshops where heads of other maintained schools have come with their foundation leads and we've spoke about what knowledge and understanding looks like. And if you get it right, the impact that can have on your science curriculum, you can, you can hark back to the year six Sachs Dodo paper, the reading paper. The, the issue wasn't the, the reading, the issue was scientific vocabulary. So it's again looking at, and I know schools have, have, have responded to and worked on so much. We've joined up curriculum, sequential curriculum following that. But we've done a lot of work with leaders of, of, of settings, which our children will go to. And, and it's that aspect of not saying what we do is perfect, but there are different ways of doing it. And there are it's good for you to know what a vast proportion of Robert Amelia's children have experienced as well. Yeah, I think, can I just start an example of it? I was talking to a parent yesterday on the parent meeting, and I think it's not even about knowing those those sorts of things in terms of curriculum it's about the way we deliver the early years curriculum the way that children get to choose the way that it's play-based um you, your adults go in and, and tickle the learning don't they they're, they're, they're skillful and they, they know what to do and this mum who had her older child with us and he's going he's looking for a diagnosis uh, they're thinking about a diagnosis for adhd and asd um but he did very well when he was here and she she said it makes me so so sad that he is not learning the way he learned when he was here because I think if he was learning like that, he would be okay. He wouldn't be struggling, he wouldn't be getting into trouble, he wouldn't be having behaviour difficulties. She said, and it's all right for the others who can learn that way. And I said, I think perhaps it's that sometimes they've learned to cope with learning that way. They still might do better, you know, if they were learning the way that we do here. And I just thought it's really interesting sort of observation that parents noticing that the way that you teach, the way you deliver your curriculum is, is so important yeah. as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And we're seeing that more and more, aren't we, with more uh, key stage one classrooms who are, are rethinking their pedagogical approaches. Uh, and particularly COVID, I think, as you kind of alluded to yeah. earlier on, is, was kind of a catalyst for a lot of those schools. But perhaps they're not sure about how to do it. But it's that making sure the early years is secure first, because that allows yeah. you then to be able to work in that kind of different way. I mean, it's, it's an incredible piece of work. Yeah. So yeah. it's having the confidence, because we, we yeah. know, we've done this job for years, we know. It looks a bit mad. It looks a bit crazy <laughs> sometimes. You know, we know, but we know it works. We know when we get to July that all yeah. the bonkers stuff in September does pay dividends. We know that. Mm -hmm. But if you've always done it in a particular way in key stage one or key stage two, to let go of that sort of yeah. almost like letting go of control, I guess, isn't yeah. it? And having a bit more of a free for all, it's like, whoa, mm -hmm. it, it, you can see how it, it yeah. happens, can't you? It's, um, yeah, absolutely. Everybody needs a secondment to early years. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd fully support that. Fully support that. <laughs> I think also those kind of, I mean, it's an immense ongoing project, isn't it, that you're involved in? So what were the kind of the big challenges, I guess, or that you faced? Or were there were the challenges? I think making sure staff were I think making sure staff were familiar with the with the you know the wording, the exact yeah. intentions, and as as part of it, we we reevaluated our assessment procedure as well. So that yeah. We'd always use something called EMAG, which is a system that's particular, I think, to Rotherham. But it, it basically was, and it, it shouldn't have been, but it was kind of the list of objectives from the old development matters. That was the assessment tool. So what we did was rather than having this tick thing where they were beginning developing secure, yeah. we, we turned our intent on its head and made that the impact. But we wanted practitioners to just sort of read through that, gauge, are they roughly where they should be? Two-year-old, the three-year-old, four-year-old, or are they, are they at risk? What do we need to do? And it, and it 
took a huge workload off staff. So again, staff time was where it should be, which is with the children. Staff weren't stressed. You know, we were getting to a point previously where really valued members of the team were starting to think about leaving because of workload. And, we, you know, we can't ever have that. You know, as soon as you hear that, you're like, right, we've got to change something. Um, and, and, this, and I think the changing assessment helped enormously with that stuff. I'm much happier with it. And, and they know if children are where they should be. Yeah. They don't need to read lots of tick lists. They know because they work with children every single day. They know what a three-year-old should look like and a four-year-old should look like. Um, and it, it meant we had more dialogue across the team, didn't we? we yeah pupil progress meetings became it's not just this sort of thing in an ivory tower that the, the teachers did everybody became part of it all the UIPs were involved in it and the conversations and the discussions we had were so much they were so much richer mm. because everybody was part of that uh, you know rounded children we saw the round view of the children and I think as well I mean Lizzie's just spoke about refining assessment I don't think that was a challenge from the curriculum perspective I think that was just part of the culture which is evident within the federation so the staff buy into the the fact that we don't ever stand still and that is the culture so they will like it or not Um, but they, they will expect changes and they are okay with that because they know they are part of it they are informing into it it's evaluated and not just done for change's sake, and it's mm-hmm. always done in the best interest of the children. Now, I think if you were trying to overhaul a curriculum or change a pedagogical approach in a setting where you haven't got culture right, that's where the challenges would outweigh good. And I think that's we're really blessed here because a culture has been built and has been sustained where the staff are not only on board, they're driving the train as well. <laughs> so it's, they, they're, they're asking, right, okay, what next? What are we doing? Yeah. You know, we know that we're going to revisit the curriculum. They're hungry to do it because by us saying that, yeah. they know that there's a next step. But they're very, they're, they're, they are very forward as well in yeah. saying this doesn't work, this yeah. isn't right. Yeah. yeah, I think when yeah. Linda talks about that culture, there is yeah. an openness to it as well. It, it's not something that's done to staff. Yeah. They are very much yeah. part of that. And, and they understand the why behind what yeah. you're doing, which is a critical yeah. thing, isn't it? And because that was what I was going to kind of ask about what you'd first steps for people, but it sounds like it's getting that that culture right is absolutely key, isn't it? Because implementing any change, you know, bringing things yeah. forward, it's the culture that ultimately is going to support that. But it sounds like it's a culture that's both from the top but also from the bottom that's kind of just permeating through. Yeah, it's it's got it's got to be. Everyone's got to be fully immersed in it and fully understand it because if not it's it's the equivalent of going to France with a how to speak French book you have it but it's not going to be much use to you because you've not read it before and you don't understand it whereas our staff they are immersed in it they they've done thread to needle so they they don't they understand the why and they understand the why nots as well I think that is as important they understand why we don't do certain things so whenever we've done best practice visits we'll have um fabulous staff members from different settings that'll come around and they'll talk to us and they'll say so do you use certain assessment apps where you're uploading photos and you're tagging and and i don't need to answer it because i will have an eyp that will jump in before i even open my mouth and go 
no, because we're uploading photos and we're not with the children. And it's and it's that aspect. So they they not only understand why we do certain things because they've been part of that creation of it. They understand why we don't do certain things because it all falls back down to the pedagogy and the delivery of the curriculum for the children. And it's that kind of recognizing that whole journey, isn't it? Because if you've got you know your two year olds going right the way kind of through, and there's kind of older children, it's how to make it feel like it's a seamless journey even though they may be changing a physical space and working with different people I guess that can be a challenge sometimes it can but it it acts we've got no one will have probably been to our setting that's listening to this but we've got um a wall and a door in between our twos to threes and our threes to fours but our outside space is shared now the the wall is there but the curriculum goes over it so with respect to when Lizzie's designed the key text curriculum, you did so much work in ensuring that it was sequential and progressive, but valuing the fact and acknowledging the fact that our children will have six weeks off when if they transition up to us at the summer, but if they transition up to us midpoint as well, it, it needs to be it needs to be fluid. So the texts that were chosen have been really carefully yeah. nice. We- I'll, the example I'll give you is, is prepositions because it's an easy one to go with. But we, we knew from our ECAT assessments that children would come into us in F1 with a gap in, in preposition understanding with good reason. So we looked at the key text that we used in, in the two to three base. So in the summer, in the spring and summer term, we've got texts like uh, going on a bear hunt. There's lots of prepositions in there. We've got where spot. Um, oh God, going through the jungle. Um, there's three or four texts, and um, one alludes me now, there's another one I know. <laughs> but, again, but there's also that revisiting then as we go, although we're introducing new vocabulary for the text we start with in F1, um, and, and certainly as we get to the summer term in F1, we're wanting children to be using sequencing language like before, next, after. Um, we also revisit those prepositions. So, for example, we do Billy Goes Gruff in spring two. So, again, you go back and you revisit that, and you're making sure, again, You've locked that vocab into the long-term memory, and also we have the we have we do have a lot of children who come through from our two to three room, but we also have a lot of children who are new to us. Yeah. And because of the um, the nature of the area that we're in, children come and go quite a lot. They move um, because of housing. They move different areas, so we quite often get children who are dropped in in the middle of a school year. So we have to think about that as well. So it, it's looking at all the makeup of your children as well in that, as well as making sure we're revisiting that. that. It's an ongoing reflective process, isn't it? I mean, that, that's yeah, yeah. constant, constantly. And, the, and it, it really struck me when you talk about those kind of conversations between the staff are critical, aren't they? And everybody being part of those conversations. So everyone keeps going back to the why, the why, the why. This is why we're doing this. And this is the impact it's having on our children. And that's built, sorry. <laughs> that's built into our school day. So at the end of our school day, in twos to threes and in threes to fours, we have something called a powwow, mm-hmm. where all staff that are present at that time sit and they will reflect on what's worked well, what needs changing, um, what do we need to repeat, any child that they've noticed isn't quite right. And again, that's that's done from a curriculum perspective, but it's also done from a well-being perspective for the children as well. And and that's that's an element and that we do place on our children. We put so much respect on our children, whereby if I'd been at work all day and I'd not necessarily been all right, I would have hoped that my colleagues would have picked up on that. And that's the same notion that we put in, just pulling the face, that we put in for our children. If, if they haven't been right, we need to come together and we need to talk about it and we need to see what we can do the next day. So 
actually your curriculum design runs through your routines of your day, it runs through your timetabling, it runs through what you're going to prioritise in giving that amount of time for the staff team to come together because if not, you will end up with poorly informed and poorly equipped staff that are trying to deliver a curriculum, whereas by just carving out 10 minutes, you're actually regrouping and everyone's on the same page, ready to continue the next day. I think in terms of that joining up as well, um, we have um, coordinators for the educational programmes who sort of monitor and check where it is. Um, now, mainly they're the, teaching, the teachers, um, but we also have link buddies. So when we monitor, the, the two to three link buddy comes with. So it's not, again, it's not that the teacher is all powerful, knows everything, come with us, please, very experienced two to three UIP and make sure that we're, we're thinking about two to threes when we're monitoring as well. It, it, yeah. And they do. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So I guess what next, I guess, that's, a, you know, in terms of development? Um, we, we know that, and we already have responded to this, um, again, COVID and a range of other reasons, um, we're experiencing children with uh, differing starting points on entry. So with regards to our curriculum documentation, um, we've looked at at lowering that. So looking at what might be typical for an 18 month rather than a two year old, we need to go back and we need to revisit that again and look what might be typical for a 12 month old. Um, And that will be, again, as Lizzie said, we we have children that may drop into F1 that have had very limited experience um, prior to attending a nursery setting. So that that will support all children. We also are aware, and I think this is a national picture, that we are responding to more complex SEMD needs as well, especially around SEMH. So our curriculum is fully inclusive and and it very much enables any child to make progress regardless of starting point and need. But we feel that there's more to be done with that. We feel that we we can open up the curriculum around the documentation and the assessment even more so, so that it is more fluid for every child to access and be have, have their progress and their their small steps even further celebrated within that so I think that's the next step that's really interesting and I think it, it's a, a common need that's replicated across the country and indeed internationally it's that yeah, yeah. it's increased need and also how to develop the expertise of the adults that are working with those children Took the words within out of mainstream mind. provision. Yeah. yeah, I'm rolling my eyes at Lindsay, but actually I know that in us writing that we will learn so much. It yeah. will really broaden our understanding of it, you know. And I think I think we're pretty red hot already yeah. in terms of SEND, but there's always more to learn, like Lindsay says, we never stop learning. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you ever so much for this morning. I mean, I, I'm really inspired. I know people listening will be as well. And that kind of those golden threads of, you know, love of books, language going through, but really thinking about those needs of your children, isn't it? And that your staff team, it just sounds absolutely amazing kind of work that they're doing. So please. And I think that's just one, one point to make, Phil. We're, we're sat here talking about the curriculum and almost being the voice and the face of it. But in all honesty, we're not the boots on the ground. It, yeah. it, the credit is to the the UIPs and the teachers that are delivering it and refining it on a daily basis because we're only as good as every interaction that comes from that. Absolutely. They're, it's, they're bringing it up to life, aren't they? 
uh, yeah. absolutely brilliantly. Um, I know also, I believe we're going to be with you in the spring term doing something live in partnership together. So uh, everybody look out for that because um, certainly if I was around, I'd definitely be headed up, up that way. But thank you ever so much. Um, yeah, please pass on my thanks as well to every, everybody who's coming involved because it's, um, yeah, as you said, it sounds like an incredible team effort to really make it work for your children. Um, and keep safe, keep well, uh, enjoy the rest of the autumn and um, <laughs> hopefully catch up again very, very soon. Thank you, Phil. Take care. Well, thanks for joining us today. I hope you found it a valuable listen and that you've taken some things away to reflect on or maybe things that you want to discuss with your colleagues. Of course, remember, if you want to talk about any of the issues that we've explored today or you need support with other matters in your school, then do feel free to drop me an email, sarah at earlyexcellence.com or why not get connected with me on LinkedIn or Twitter? Anyway, take care and join me next time for some more genuine head-to-head conversation.